Show me the money. Welcome to the MoneyWeb Market Commentator Podcast, where leading investment professionals share their investment insights. Your host, Rake van Niekerk. It's time for this week's Market Commentator Podcast. It's the podcast where I speak to the leading investment professionals in the country. My guest today is Alwyn van Amerwe. He is the Director of Investments at Sunlam Private Wealth. And he has been with Sunlam for 14 years. And prior to Sunlam, he was a portfolio manager at Old Mutual for nine years. He has been in the industry for more than 25 years. And I think he has seen it all. Alvin, thank you so much for joining me. Sunlam Private Wealth, how far is that removed from Sunlam Investments? Uh, are you involved with the management of any of Sunlam's unit trust portfolios? Good afternoon, Ricky. Yes, we do manage two unit trust portfolios in South Africa. So we have a balanced portfolio, which is a Regulation 28 portfolio. And then we have, um, let's call it our flagship portfolio, because that is really where our roots lie, which is a pure South African equity portfolio. It's called the Sunlam Private Wealth Equity Fund. But that is actually not our main vehicle where we invest uh, money. Being a private client asset manager, we try to, to manage our clients' portfolios on a tailor-made basis, which means that high net worth individuals, they normally have very unique financial or investment needs, and we try to tailor-make a solution for those particular needs. And the reason why we have those funds, they have got a particular story. The institutional investors, Sunlam Investments, they focus on the management of institutional pension or retirement funds, and they also tap into the retail investment market via the unit trust uh, solutions. What do we share with them? We share the shareholders. So we're one of, I think, about 14 independent individual companies within the Sunlam Investments umbrella, but we don't necessarily share the same investment philosophy. And in terms of research, we share the same macro research. In other words, we share the same economist. But in terms of equity research and in terms of global research and asset allocation, we act completely independently from, let's say, from the mothership. So your core focus is to design and structure individual portfolios for high net worth individuals. Exactly right. I think what you can do, right, you can be really a high net worth individual, you know, people they used to come to us only for an equity solution. But what we find more and more that you need to think more creatively. So most of the high net worth individuals have got a proper multi-asset portfolio that would include South African assets across the asset spectrum. In other words, it would be equities. If you think about the traditional asset classes, equities, fixed interest, property. And on, on the offshore side, it is exactly the same. And in both cases, you can also add alternative assets for these clients because you must understand that things like ESG, philanthropic purposes, etc., also come into play when you deal with high net worth individuals. But in the end, you know, it's all aimed to, to achieve the particular investment need of the client. What is the criteria to be regarded as a high net worth individual? We take on clients of anything up from 2 million, which is, I think, it's perhaps not enough. If we look at the average size of our clients, it's uh, closer to 6 million, and then we can have clients up to 2 billion. <laughs> so it is actually quite a wide range. <laughs> uh, but nevertheless, I always feel very comfortable if we manage a portfolio of about 10 million plus, because then you can do proper 
asset allocation and, and give a client at a, on a very cost-effective basis, give him a solution that should match his investment needs. Let's talk markets and especially let's start with the local market. Uh, we've seen a correction on the JSC over the past few weeks. And I did a few calculations uh, from January to the end of July. The all share rose by a very decent 15%. But from August to mid-September, uh, that was wiped out. I think we were virtually uh, unchanged year-to-date uh, mid-September. But subsequently, we have recovered slightly. And today, year-to-date, the index is 5% higher in comparison, the S&P 500 uh, year-to-date, it's uh, about 19% higher, which is significantly more. How do you see this performance um, relative to international markets? Yes, uh, Rick, to some extent it was, it was concerning. But I think, you know, if you look at our, our market, in, and, and when we talk about our market, we talk about the, the all-share index. The, the all-share index is it's quite concentrated in the way that, that it's been populated. After the recent changes that we've seen, I think it came in on the 17th of September, NASPERS process constitute about 15% of the all share index. Before that, NASPERS process at the beginning of the year, I think, was something like 23% of the all share index. So it's extremely concentrated. So that is the one. The other sector, and, and the reason why I mentioned the sector, that the sector is quite correlated, is the resources sector and the resources sectors, you know, is up. I think at the moment it's about if you include Sassel in it, um, then it's it's about thirty five percent of the index. And when commodity prices move in, you know, in unison up or down, it has a massive impact uh, on the market. So what you've seen in the pullback that you refer to is that Nasdaq came under severe pressure for two reasons. I don't think the market market really liked the the corporate action that we've seen. And secondly, the news flow out of China, where there are certain regulations being implemented that will have an impact on the earnings stream of Tencent, which is the biggest um, investment within NASPERS process, and that pulled it down. And of course, on top of that, what we've seen is we've seen a phenomenal pullback in, in the platinum shares. Most of those platinum shares are probably down about 30% from the highs that they recorded earlier this year. So um, to my mind, I think what it has done, it's given me more confidence about the way forward because if you think that uh, those two sectors, well, the, the, the resources sector is a bit cheaper and NASPERS process is certainly much, much, much cheaper. If you think about 10 cents, the forward P is now come back into territory that we can talk about the forward <laughs> price earnings multiple. And on top of that, if you buy NASPERS and process, you get it at a substantial discount. So for me, from an investment perspective, I think it is now a better better time to own it than when we started the year. And of course, if, you, if you've seen what those two shares did, NASPERS is down 19.6% year to date and Process is down 26% year to date. But that was the star performers. Those two shares were the star performers last year when IT shares just went through the roof and China in particular in the second half of last year was strong and those shares benefited from it. So my answer is yes, I think the market looks more interesting now from an upside perspective than compared to a month ago. What would the performance of the LC be if you strip out the negative impact of NASPERS and process? Uh, my numbers look slightly different to yours uh, year to date, and, and we've done it up until last night, uh, the LC and it's on a total return basis. So there's a divvy that comes in there. It is 10.4%. If you 
exclude Nasperson process from it, uh, the return would have been 16.8%. Now, let's take that back in RAND terms. Let's take that back to your S&P 500 index. And I've got the numbers until, you know, right now. It is more or less in, in, in line. I think the S&P did something like 19%. And uh, as I said, you know, excluding that to be sitting with 16.8%, which is not a big difference. And in fact, it is exactly in line with the MSCI World Index uh, on a year-to-date basis. But that's not the perception. Um, a lot of people continuously state there is value in the JSE. We have, uh, we, we are not as expensive as international markets. Some asset managers like 91 and Alan Gray and I think Coronation too, have said they believe in the in the JSE uh, and they believe in local stocks and they some of them are even overweight uh, local stocks relative to the international stocks. Do you think the performance is actually perceived as such that it's pretty similar to what we see in the US? Look, the US, of course, was a, was a strong market. But if you look at, as I said, MSCI World on a year-to-date basis, it looks pretty similar. And if you look at it last year, by the way, last year in RAND terms, and I don't think, you know, to my mind, I don't think people pay a lot of t- attention on that. If I'm a South African investor, I'm interested in, in the RAND performance. Now, of course, that is just one year we're talking about. But the South African market in RAND terms outperformed the world in RAND terms. It outperformed the S&P in RAND terms. didn't outperform. I don't think it outperformed the NASDAQ in RAND terms last year. But it's a function of two things. Our market actually did quite well because NASPERS and the mining shares did quite well for the even despite the the very poor start uh, in the first quarter after COVID struck. But remember that rent was also strong. So when you convert the dollar returns that those indices made, converted that back into rands, it subtracted about 6 or 7% from the performance. So I think often when I listen to programs where people express their views, we've got a tendency to be a bit biased against the own performance. And, and, and the reason is that I think that, the macroeconomic numbers that come out and poor policy and regulation in South Africa, you know, it, it makes us so negative that we actually forget that some of these companies are still decent businesses with decent balance sheets. And in the case of the mining companies and one or two others, you know, clearly on, on the global stage are world-class companies. Maybe I can give one example, if you don't mind. I, we had a discussion about Anglos uh, earlier this week uh, about the investment merits. And, and then when we just look back in terms of how the company looked back in 2012 and how it looks now, it's a completely different company. They sold off a lot of their uh, marginal businesses. The balance sheet was exceptionally weak in 2012, 2013. It is now exceptionally strong. And what they are doing now is, I think, they act in a very responsible way when they allocate capital. And you can see it in the share price. And, uh, you know, if you value those mining companies on spot commodity prices, they should trade at much, much higher levels. But that is not the way we do it. We look at longer-term commodity prices and assumptions. But nevertheless, the market has been, I think, very rational when they look at the South African companies. If the news flows a bit better, opens us up for a positive surprise.
I just want to go back to your explanation of the performances. Um, if I, and I'm a, an investor, if I yes. compare the JSE performance with uh, an international market, I look at the main indices and I do the sum. Uh, you know, our market moved uh, 10% versus uh, another market moving more or less than that. Is that not the best way to compare it? Or how should one go about to yeah, compare well, relative performances? Whatever you should do is you should compare the performance in in a constant currency. So if you're, let's say you're a US investor, I live in the US, I, I must use US dollars. If I'm a South African investor, I must use South African rands. So if you earn anything overseas, convert it back into into the local currency. So so that is the first thing. And then you've got to make your call. And But, but, but Rake, I mean, your point is certainly valid. If you look back since the global financial crisis, there's no doubt that the, that the South African equity market lagged overseas equities. There's no doubt about it. But it doesn't mean to say that within particular calendar years, the, the JSE performed quite well in whatever currency you think about it. So that is the first thing. But just remember one thing. When we position portfolios, you position it, hopefully, for the prospective returns or the future returns that you are likely to generate. And I think what you've seen, and you spoke about the valuation and the views of some other asset managers in, in South Africa, if you look at, let's say, the forward price earnings multiple of the South African market at the moment, you know, it trades on a forward multiple of below 10, below 10 times. Now, it's a long time since I've seen it there. Now, having said that, we've had a phenomenal recovery in earnings in South Africa, and, and not, not many people know it. But if you think about the banks, and again, think about the, the, the results that a big component, the, the resources company, actually put out. It's a massive recovery in earnings. So the recovery in earnings is there. And that, of course, brings that price earnings multiple down. If you compare it against the um, NASDAQ, for instance, the NASDAQ is trading at a multiple of about 30 times. So it's three times more expensive than the South African market. So it is, to my mind, price for perfection. So if you see any disappointments in some of the very high-profile companies that we talk about every day, then the risk is you, that you get what we call in investment terms a so-called double whammy. You get earnings disappointments plus you get rating disappointment. And those are the two things that drive the performance. So we're not saying that is going to happen, but we're just saying that the risks are starting to build there. So the valuation itself in South Africa should provide you with some sense of security from a perspective point of view uh, where I think the amber lights are certainly going on when you when you talk about the Nasdaq and even on a top level basis if you talk about the S&P which is by far the most expensive market in the world at the moment let's talk about shares which shares are you currently buying <laughs> uh, there's a, there's big debate uh, whether we should do, use the weakness in some of these mining shares to add more and it's always a question of how much should you have if you uh, compete against the index, you know, you can't ignore the the index because that is your investment objective to beat the index. Uh, so if you're positive about a sector, then you should be overweight relative to your benchmark. But in our case, you know, we don't think it is prudent to have 35% in, in mining shares, despite the fact that you might have a very positive outlook on the shares. But I think you should have a substantial amount of mining shares in the portfolio because I don't think they are expensive, but some of the commodity prices are quite high. So maybe I should talk about what we have a big weight in. We still hold 
quite a big exposure in Sasol. We we added when the market thought that the company is subpar. And I think under the new management and they had an open day yesterday again, it is quite clear that the management takes capital allocation quite seriously and the market is not paying anything for the self-help that is still available in Sasol. So we have quite a big weight there. And even with fresh money, I think you can probably buy at these levels. But I think one must understand that the share price performance will be volatile because it follows the, the oil price on a daily basis, which you can argue whether it's right or not. That is that is not relevant. We love the banks, but they're starting to look full now. Anyone in uh, particular? We bought EFSA for the first time. And you, you were talking about I've been with Sunlam for 14 years. We've never owned EFSA until last year. So, so we bought EFSA and it worked very well for us. The quality one, of course, apart from Capitec, which is the obvious one, but it's too expensive for our style. It's not saying it's not a great company. It's just too expensive for our style. The quality one that I think is a longer-term one that we would like to hold for our clients is First Rand. It's still, you know, the company still produces a return on equity of 18%, which is seriously high. And it tells you something about how well the company is managed. And then if you drop down, we added more to Process and Nasper's in this weakness that we've seen and we still think it's it's great value. So for new money, when new clients come in, we will continue to buy process and NASPERS. Of course, there was a serious response to the uncertainty about the regulation in China and that is likely to be an over, overhang for a while, but that gives us time to, to buy it longer term. You know, it's just an absolutely great, Tencent is a great company and, and that is the major asset and, and hopefully the NASPERS management can also add value with some of the other investments. And then maybe one company that needs to be mentioned is the one that, you know, people seldom want to talk about is our exposure to British American tobacco. And we just, we simply think it is just way, way, way too cheap. So what does it mean when we say it's way too cheap? If you just, maybe I, I will use two examples to explain how cheap it is. And then investors or potential investors must, must decide whether the fact that it is that cheap whether it justifies an investment in a company where, you know, the, the big part of their business, traditional cigarettes, the volume is declining by roughly about 3% per annum. But the two valuation measures that I would like to highlight is, firstly, it's the dividend yield in pound terms. You know, it's close to 8% at the moment. So if you believe that they can in any ways grow their earnings over the next 10 years, then you get 7% or almost 8% in sterling terms today and with about an 80-85% payout ratio, they will pay out 85% of the growth in earnings for the next 10 years. And when we do our calculations, if you hold on to that share in 10 years' time, based on our assumptions, you will get the share price, which is, let's say it's 535 Rand, you will get that share price back in dividends and share buybacks. And then you still sit with the share. For our clients, particularly clients who who's looking for an income and a growing income, because they still squeeze uh, cost efficiencies out of that company. If you look at the history over the last five years, they've been growing their earnings anything between 5 and 10%, which is above inflation, by the way, significantly so in sterling terms. Then, you know, we still sit with it. But it is a very boring company. People are very uncertain and it's certainly not the flavor of the day. And it's been a major underperformer over the last over the last year as well, particularly if you measure since the beginning of the second quarter of last year. Of course, during COVID, uh, when it hit and the market actually collapsed, 
um, British American Tobacco was one of the better performing shares, although it also lost some value. No, it's not in many ESG portfolios. No. Uh, but, but just lastly, I'm looking at your private wealth equity fund, the one we spoke about earlier. The top five shareholdings are Process, BHP, Anglo-American, Richmond, and British American Tobacco. But they are five massive companies who earn the majority of their income offshore, uh, massive international and foreign exposure. What does that say about your position regarding SA Inc. stocks, companies that are really dependent on the local market? Do you still prefer the locally listed big companies or are you looking internally? Part of those big holdings tells us something about the market cap of those shares. If you drill down into another layer in the portfolio, we've got, if you talk about SA Inc. We've, in, in this particular portfolio, we've got about 15% exposure to South African banks. And uh, apart from the African exposure in some of those banks, the bulk of the earnings come from South Africa. We have exposure to retailers. We've got exposure to Pepcor which is about 2.5% in the portfolio. We've got exposure to ShopRite, which is about 3% in the portfolio. And again, they're not entirely South African, but the bulk of the earnings would, would come from South Africa. In terms of small accounters, we always have a problem, right, that it is very difficult. Many of the small accounters are pure SA in place. And if the liquidity is not there, uh, and we remember, we try and build focused portfolios. There's only, I think, 20, 21 shares in this in, in this portfolio, then we, we can't build decent positions in, in those smaller stocks. And you've got to you know get your performance from the biggest stocks. A lot of the earnings come from offshore as well, but it, it is Aspen. Aspen, we've, you know, we probably have about 3% in, in this portfolio in Aspen, but it, at, at least it's got its roots in South Africa. So it's not that we are shying away. I think for a fund with a focus on smaller caps, there's lots of bargains in South Africa that you can have, but you've got to be patient. There's not a big appetite for it at the moment. And the two of us spoke about it, I think, last week, when you just look at shares being delisting uh, from the market. If you don't need capital, then you can just as well delist and get rid of the admin burden that, that has been associated with the listing in, on the JSE. Or look at private equity as a, as a model. Or look at private equity. Alwyn, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And thanks for sharing your insights. Most welcome, Rick. Thank you very much for having me. That was Alwyn van Amerwe. He's the Director of Investments at Sundam Private Wealth. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Market Commentator Podcast where leading investment professionals share their investment insights. Hosted by Rake Fonica. For more MoneyWeb podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.